Hey folks, welcome to another episode of the Racket Athlete Podcast and today's guest is Dr. Karen Deal. Karen was born in Germany but grew up in Ghana and Tanzania. She received her BSc Honours in Sports Psychology from Glamorgan University. She also attended Temple University in Philadelphia and received her M.Ed. in Kinesiology. Her PhD was received from the University of Wolverhampton and to date she has lived in seven different countries. A well-qualified international sports psychologist with extensive experience of working with sports professionals on all levels, including international, Olympic professionals and amateurs alike. She's held positions at National Sports Institutes and Specialist Medical Centers worldwide with a great degree of success. She also has specialities include active monitoring of sporting behavior and formulating performance-oriented tailored regimes for athletes' preparations for major sporting events. She's also a published author and has presented various papers. Dr. Karn is also a reviewer panels, uh, including ISM Research and Review, International Review of Sports and Exercise Psychology and Frontiers in Psychology. Welcome to the show, Karen. Thank you, Chris, for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you. Um, so we'll just kind of start then with a, a personal question and see where it leads to. So what made you think sports psychology is a career for you and what attracted you to it initially? Um, so yeah, it's a bit of a different kind of story. So as you mentioned, I grew up in Tanzania and I did the international baccalaureate there. So the yeah, the equivalent to, I guess, A-levels, O-levels, whatever you guys call it. Yeah. Um, and part of the program there is we have to do um, community service. And the community service I did, I was working with Mother Teresa Orphanage. And um, there was this little boy who kind of never smiled. And kids, no matter what they go through, they still tend to smile and are happy. But this guy, nothing. And one day I just kind of took a, a football, soccer ball, and kicked it to him, and he kicked it back, and suddenly we kicked it back and forth a bit, and then suddenly a smile appeared. Yes. And then the next week when we came back, um, he was front of the line with the ball in his hand, ready to play. So that was, for me, the first kind of introduction to the power that sports has. While this is not exactly sports psychology, it's still kind of linked, because Sports has such an impact on our mental well-being, yeah. and then from there, kind of uh, had a discussion with uh, a mom's friend of mine, and she, her mother basically kind of asked me what I liked. Uh, I was like, "Yeah, you know, yeah, I don't really know." And so she kind of yeah asked me what subjects I really enjoyed. I love. I was always very active, um, so I enjoyed PE, and I love. So I kind of enjoyed psychology. And she goes, do that. I'm like, do what? Sports psychology. So um, back in the days in Africa, internet was not kind of where we are at right now. So um, we kind of still did the school library thing. And so researching that, kind of trying a bit online to find out what exactly sports psychology is. And then, yeah, I said, okay, sounds interesting. Why not give it a go? And that's kind of how I got into sports psychology. So yeah, completely random. Um, I mean, I, like I said, I was very active myself. I, um, I swam for our high school. I played football for our high school. I ended up coaching a little bit at the end as well. Again, part of the International Baccalaureate Program. So I do un did know the impact the mind had, but not in as much detail as when I studied. I kind of learned a lot more and it's always fascinating. 
the mind has always fascinated me. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how I got into it and studied my bachelor in Lamorgan. Mm-hmm. Kind of really enjoyed it and learned a lot more and said, yeah, this is it. This is kind of what I want to do. Yeah, cool. Um, obviously, you said you lived in a few different countries as well. So what kind of different perspectives have you had on sports psychology with living in seven different countries? Well, one of the big ones for me was um, that the theories we have in the West are not necessarily applicable to um, the rest of the world. So um, my PhD was um, on emotional intelligence in diverse populations. So um, doing that, I kind of worked, uh, this was while I was in Wolverhampton, but part of my population was wheelchair basketball athletes from the UK. Um, so there was not much difference between emotional intelligence between the norm and wheelchair basketball athletes. Okay. And then I kind of compared them to Ghanaian um, footballers, and I saw differences there. Um, some of the things were just like language is culture and culture is language. And yeah. one of the things that kind of popped out at me was that in a lot of the tribal languages, in Ghana, there, for example, is no word for loneliness. Okay. So I think we kind of, when it comes to emotional intelligence, being aware of our emotions, we need to just kind of be aware of, um, are we kind of bringing our notion of what certain emotions are and context yeah. is that part of the world? Mm-hmm. Um, just kind of being open and seeing, okay, if they have no word for it, does it mean they're not lonely? Um, or because, you know, we tend to ha- create words for the feelings we have. Yeah, yeah. That. But other than that, to be honest, there weren't that much like differences I would have thought like in other parts of the world, um, they might not know about sports psychology, whereas in the West, it would be much more known. And that was not the case. I find that here in Germany that a lot less people know about sports psychology, which I find odd. Um, whereas in Malaysia, for example, where I worked, um, the athletes knew about it, but that's because from a young age, they had access to it. Um, so yeah, it's just kind of, that didn't really play a role of who knew about it, who didn't know about it. And it's just most of the mindset stuff is similar. You just have to tweak it to the culture you're working with. Yeah. Um, So religion plays a role um, in the Muslim world and Arab world. Inshallah is a sentence they use a lot, which is God willingly. And um, some of the athletes kind of use that as an excuse um, so if God wants me to perform well, I will perform well. <clears throat> if God doesn't want me to perform well, well then, you know, it ain't going to happen. So it's not uh, just getting them to kind of use that in Ghana, especially where religion is a huge thing. Um, an example, when we played a football game there, they would pray in the changing room then they would pray as a team just before kickoff. And then they would pray at the end of halftime and then, the start of the halftime and then at the end again so they're like praying all the time mm-hmm. so i use that as part of my uh, mental preparation so i got them to kind of be a bit more specific in their prayer um so not just saying let's have a great game but kind of using self-talk in that so just kind of using my environment the people i work with and the tools i can use in that environment and tweaking it to help them uh, get my work done okay so Going back to emotions then, Karen, mm-hmm. would you say they're created in the moment or would you say they're innate, the emotions, you know, the emotional sort of side of things? So there's a difference between emotions and mood. 
Um, so mood is basically something that's more is less intense but lasts longer and emotions are shorter but kind of more intense and we all have them um, but they're related to or stimulated to an event so emo emotions is to something that happened mood sometimes we don't why we don't have anything we can really pinpoint it to sometimes you just like you wake up in a shit mood so you don't know what caused it yeah yeah hope it's okay that i'm swearing on here sorry guys <laughs> um so yeah it's just some certain time when you don't really know what the cause of it is it tends to be an emotion uh, sorry a mood and if it's something short and intense it's kind of an emotion yeah um it's yeah we all have it we all experience it unless of course there's psychological um issues like certain psychological problems and mental health issues yeah just don't experience certain emotions um but for the the normal person it's yeah it's part of our life it's what triggers us it's what pushes us it's what motivates us our, our emotions at the same time it's what holds us back yeah uh, you know our mind holds us back as well as our emotions so certain emotions can hinder our performance some of them can yeah. enhance our performance so it's just getting to know what emotions work for you and then trying to make sure you get into that optimal zone so yeah it's kind of like i don't know if um it's basically like the the u curve that we have in psychology so it's yeah. finding where what is your optimal so if you're stress or pressure is the perfect example because we most yep. uh, nerves and anxiety it's the thing that most athletes experience so if you're not nervous enough you're not going to perform if you're too nervous you're not going to perform either because you're just freaking out throwing up and whatever yeah. and if you're on the other scale you're just kind of like going it'll happen <laughs> you know whatever kind of thing yeah. so you need that right level and that right level is different for every one of us yeah yeah for you what exactly is that level um, yeah. So yeah yeah um and how and how do you go about creating working with athletes with individuals you work with how do you go about creating that athlete mindset and individuals you work with so um i've created um parents mental roadmap to success so basically the first time i meet the athletes is i kind of just gain knowledge trying to understand um a where how much they understand about psychology what they think their problems i don't like the word problems because it doesn't necessarily mean that there's something wrong with you mm -hmm. it can be you want to work with me because you want to improve yourself so you're yeah, good yeah. i'm great so just trying to find out what what might be holding them back where might they be holding their hat still have the hand break up that's stopping them a little bit and seeing where they want to improve what are they already currently using is it working is it not um asking them simple questions that, like um if i had an ipad and i downloaded everything from what's going on in your brain what would i see during an amazing game a crappy game and a neutral game and then kind of using that intel to kind of get an idea of what's going on yep it's really important because a lot of athletes are not or not just athletes we don't tend to be very honest with ourselves um we either are one of the extremes we're an amazing people we're super humans everything's awesome like you know we're king of the world or we're on yeah. the other from where um everything absolutely rubbish this was the worst game i've ever played in my entire life the world's going to end i'm going to die kind of thing yeah. and in the reality, it might just be one tiny little mistake you've done or a smaller mistake you've done, but you focus so much on it yeah. that you're not looking at the whole competition going, hmm, 
actually, I did okay here. This was good. I can improve on this. Yeah, okay, I did that mistake, but overall, it wasn't the end of the world kind of performance. It wasn't yeah. my best, but it, you know, there's things I can improve. So that, just, yeah. So that mistake kind of becomes the reality then, doesn't it? You kind of hold on to that too long. Yes, correct. Same as when you've had a really, really good performance. You kind of, um, I remember working with an athlete and they, one, they swam the best they've ever swam in a long time. And so they were on this absolute high and I'm like, mm -hmm. we've got to get them down again because they've got another competition tomorrow. Yeah, and if yeah. you <clears throat> high, then you're no longer in the present moment because you're focusing. Yeah. So, um, you know, you're not working on the things that may have not gone as well. So it's, yeah, yeah. In a performance, you're barely going to rate yourself a zero or uh, a one where it was that rubbish. There was absolutely nothing that worked. Mm -hmm. um, say most athletes, especially world-class athletes, will rarely um, measure, give themselves a 10 out of 10 because there's yeah. always room for improvement. Yeah, definitely. And so give, do give yourself a 10 out of 10. Um, that's something that you might want to reflect on because – Again, there's always something that you can improve, even if yeah. you're really well. So, mm -hmm. yeah, looking at that and exploring that kind of bit. Yep. Um, so how do you get athletes to overcome mindset hurdles? And what are your sort of methods to go with that? So once we've kind of them becoming aware of some of the um, problems or their strengths and weaknesses, I then kind of use different mental skills. One of the ones I really learned to uh, use a lot in Asia was mindfulness or my version of it. So not the kind of, yeah, kind of getting them to be in the present moment. So we use that in psychology as well. It's not necessarily mindfulness, but getting them to be in the here and now. Yeah. Um, so if you're diving, you're focusing on this dive, not the previous dive, not the dive after that you're diet, focusing on right now in squash, you're focusing on this shot you're taking not the points that you have to make to win this or the next moves five down five moves down the line you have to kind of stay in present moment and focus on what you have to do right now yeah um so that you're absolutely aware of the and you can make changes a lot quicker when you're in the here and now and knowing what's mm -hmm. going on so that's when i use um due to the fact that my phd wasn't on it on emotional intelligence i use a lot of emotional regulation side of things so yep relaxation, breathing techniques are really part of it. So breathing to calm down, but also if you're too calm to kind of psych yourself up. Imagery is a huge tool that I think is really, really useful. Um, and it's trying to also find out what athletes understand under imagery a visual or visualization, whichever they tend to call it. It's not just seeing the images because that's only one part of imagery. There's, yeah. you have to find, get and use all your senses. The more it feels real while you're sitting here and, and doing it, um, the better. So it should feel like you're actually out on the squash court playing squash while you're visualizing your game yep. than you sitting on a chair. So the more senses you can incorporate, the better. These are some of the tools, yeah, that I use. A diary is one that I love. Athletes, not so much because they tend to not be a fan of them. So it's there's my work is trying to convince them that. There's a benefit of keeping a diary of what's going on in your head, your, you know, your emotions, your thoughts, and how are they impacting your performance? Because sometimes you just do things and it's when you actually kind of force yourself to be aware of why you're doing what you're doing. It helps you kind of to make the changes that you need to make. Yeah. So going back to what you were saying about imagery, um, 
I kind of find that quite interesting. How do you get athletes, say, that are really struggling with imagery to become more visual and more clear in these things in their mind? So I started with tiny little things, easy, simple things. So, um, so it's the image that you're supposed to see. So look at something in front of like your phone, the thing you look at all day long anyway. As athletes, we tend to be hooked to our phones, not just athletes, anyone in the world these days. Look at your phone, study it, put it away, and then visualize it. And like put everything, what's your, your back screen of your phone look like or, and stuff like that and build on it. Or your bedroom, something that you, you just know what it looks like. So close your eyes and visualize that. That's the, the vision. And sound so can you sit here and think of your favorite song you know to start with things that are easy for you um taste what's coffee taste like or can you visualize biting into a lemon and if you really visualize that taste of a lemon you will actually see people squeezing going doing that sexy face that you do when you bite into a lemon in actual fact yeah um so again coffee your favorite perfume, uh, eau de toilette, or whatever it is, um, you know, something that you can remember. So using that. And then touch is another one because you want to feel it. Like, um, so it's the physical sensation of holding the racket, but also the movement of your muscles because that's all part of it. So, so it's just going through it, testing it in different things. So with movement, do some push-ups. Okay, now um, sit down and imagine doing those push-ups and feeling them. Um, your muscles while doing it yeah so obviously with so that example there with the imagery mm -hmm. of the say the push-ups or um, you know feeling the, the movement of the racket and the muscles so essentially you should be what you're saying is when you have the imagery visions you should be able to feel the movement as well yes yeah so it needs to feel, the, the more you practice it, you'll get better at it. And it takes time. And I, I, kids are really good at it because kids are so used to having yeah. that imagination. Yeah. Yeah. So um, the earlier you start practicing it, the better it is. Mm -hmm. But you break it down into the different, your different senses and try it and then just prolong it and then move it to your, the sport you do. You can put on your kit while you're sitting at home just so it kind of feels like you're in the real actual environment. Um, taking the, the smells of um, the squash, your home squash court. What are some of the smells yeah. that you have? Taste, um, you know, when you're playing, you've played a couple of um, shots, you might get, start getting dehydrated. So getting that taste of dryness, dehydration in your mouth, or you've just taken a sip of your energy drink or whatever, your water. So adding all of that so it feels real, like you're actually doing it. Yeah. First step. And then, Power of imagery is basically it's your replay button. Um, yeah. So if you're trying to work on a skill, tweak something, visualize it and go, oops, no, I tend to do a mistake there. Let's rewind and do it again the way I want to do it. Yeah. You can um, slow it down, speed it up. So imagery ideally um, is in real time. Yeah. But you also, depending on what you're working on, you will slow it down, you will speed it up. Um, you know, you will change it. So I get athletes if they're struggling to change something and when their movement is getting them to, again, think of their room, it's white. Okay, let's change it purple. You know, do some. Yeah. So you visualize just changing the colors, changing the furniture in it, and then you can do that with your sport as well. Um, 
And then, yeah, then there's two different versions of it. There's the internal, so it's you actually doing the action, or it's the external where you're seeing yourself as if you're watching yourself on TV. Both yeah. are really beneficial depending on what you're working on and what you want to change. Okay. So obviously you've worked with a few coaches, uh, sports coaches, um, or, or different types of coaches um, and with sports psychology. Um, how would you go about educating other coaches on sports psychology, Karen? So you have um, the coaches that are, the, I wouldn't say necessarily the younger generations, just the ones that are more open to sports science. So they are a lot easier to kind of convince um, that it's important, the benefits of it, uh, especially if they've been an athlete themselves, they kind of have an understanding of the importance of it or the role it plays. I mean, it's not the BN and all, end all, but it does play a role, especially the during competition. The mind is the one that makes one of the bigger changes. Yeah. Um, if you have more of the old school um, kind of coaches or um, who are like, nah, you know, you're, the thing is a lot of, you're either, people have this added mindset that you're either born with it or you're not. So that mental tough grit that, pushing through that um, when it, things get tough. If you're behind, you can still kind of come back. Um, but it's things that you can actually train. You can work on that. So yeah. it's just to get them to see that. So it's not just coaches, it's athletes as well that have yeah. where they think, I know everything. Yeah. Um, just getting them to see, um, looking at an athlete, giving them examples of real live athletes and world star, uh, champions who have used the sport yeah. like, and how they've passed in their career. Or just accepting that this might be a lost cause. And as long as the coach does not prevent the athlete from seeing me, then I'll do what I can to get them on my side because ideally I want to work with the coach because yeah. the coach is that has access to the athletes more than I will ever. Yeah. Um, so I have had cases where the coach was absolutely anti-sport psych. And so I would have to secretly meet the athletes because they really wanted my help, but they knew if the coach found out, then they would be in trouble. So yeah. it's like, um, so we'd have to kind of go for lunch, coffee or whatever, and just randomly meet up. Um, yeah. It's not ideal because I'd rather have the coach on my side. Yeah. Um, because to, and help him educate him or her that they use the right language that, you know, they kind of see certain things or if I see something, I back to them and we can work together as a team yeah but it's not always possible um though i have had coaches who at one point were the nah we don't need it mm. and then and they're like oh yeah do whatever you want you know i give you free range um let me know what you want me to work on or if they saw something mm. um, that they realized during competition they would call me go do your thing so yeah i've been able to get one coach who's from one end to kind of work with me but others I've, we've accepted it's just not going to work it's as long as they stop me from working with the athletes who want the help, who need the help, then yeah. I'm not going to fight it. Yep. Yeah. So you kind of mentioned there about some mentalities of, oh, you're, you're born with this or, you know, you're not. So that's really coming back to the mindset of, you know, fixed mindset or growth mindset, isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, like, yeah. A lot of basically, if you have a fixed mindset, you think you have you're talented and that's it. Yeah. Um, you can either you're either good, talented, you're a squash player, or you're not, and you're never going to learn it. You're never going to improve. That's it. Um, you can either do math, or you're going to suck at math for the rest of your life. You can either learn languages, or you can't. 
So those are um, whereas if you have a growth mindset, you're like, okay, I'm I enjoy this sport. I'm not good at it, but if I put the hard effort into it and work into it, you know, give it my all, I will get better. I might not become a world class champion, but I will get better. I will reach my um, full potential, whatever that is. And that's basically my job is getting athletes to reach their full potential, whatever it is, whether it's becoming world class, um, world champions, gold medalists, Olympic medalists, whatever their best is that they can be on and off the field, I'll help them. And with growth mindset, it's not just on the field. So it's not just on the squash court. It's also your life outside of it. So it's just making sure that because if you have a growth mindset, um, it just you makes you more resilient because you, you kind of go, okay, I made a mistake. It's not the end of the world. I can learn from it and work on it and improve it. If you have a fixed mindset, you made a mistake. It's the end of the world kind of thing. You know, they're kind of, go, yep, that's it. I'm done. Career's over. They tend to also be a perfectionist where it has to be perfect. And if it's not perfect, that's it. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, and what would you say is the number one tool, mindset-wise, an athlete needs to perform well under constant pressure? So the one thing I use the most is literally getting them to be in the present moment, so focusing on the task at hand. Um, so for me, pressure is kind of, it's not something that you can physically touch. So it's in your head. Pressure is in your head. You make it up. It's pressure yeah. due to expectations you have, due to... Uh -huh. Um, being um, so you wanting to win the match, you have no control whether you're going to win or not. All you can control is what you the processes you do. That's why it's better to set process goals than outcome goals. Mm -hmm. Not saying because obviously you want to strive to be uh, a world champion, so do set those outcome goals, but then focus on the processes that you need to do to get there. So in a game. Don't focus on winning or losing. Focus on what you need to do in this game at this very point in time to get there. So this is kind of my mindfulness. is, And if you realize your brain is going somewhere else and you're getting distracted, bringing it back to the present moment. So it's either focusing on your breathing or if um, in squash, it can be focusing on the feel of the racket in your hand. Anything Because if you focus on that, really focus on that, your mind can't be anywhere else than that feeling. Yeah. Focus on your breath. So that's what I, one of the things I do is getting athletes to go, okay, focus on right now, um, the racket in your hand, your, what are the signs that you feel when you're breathing in? What's your body? To, how do you know that you're breathing in? What yeah. are the signs your body is giving me that you're breathing in? What are the signs your body is giving you that you're breathing out? So focusing on that, that will just kind of, you're so focused on that, you're in the present moment. Yeah, so it's kind of like, you know, one shot at a time, for example, in any racket yeah. sport. One shot at a time, you know, one movement at a time, get that get that focus on that and then take it from there because so, Rome wasn't built in a day, as they say. Exactly. So it's, it's literally, um, with my bowlers in Malaysia, that's the one thing we always had. It's one shot at a time. So whether your previous shot was rubbish, you can't change it. It's in the past. You have no yeah. control over it. Yeah. So focus on what you need to do to make this next shot good yeah right so in bowling it's making sure that the ball sits properly in their hands and working on their approach that they have the five-step three-step approach whatever it is and focusing on the release so just focusing on each of those individual things um in swimming for example it's your takeoff your stream your underwater streamline part then your turn and then you know just make focusing different things to so breaking your sport down yeah to 
the five key things. So and first, and one thing that I find important is getting the athlete to define their job in the simplest terms. Um, so I learned this from Simon Hartley. He's, he worked with a swimmer um, and this is basically like what they kind of realize is your job is not to win. Your job is not to get sponsorship. Your job is not to be, to represent Great Britain or whatever. Yeah. Your job is whatever it is in sports. So if, for example, swimming, a hundred meter swimmer is to swim two laps of the pool as fast as he or she can. Rowing is to get your boat from point A to point B, so 2,000 meters as fast as you can. Whether yeah. you're an individual, two, boat, two people in the rower, or eight boat or four boat, same thing. So it's just simplifying it. I mean, a lot of athletes have struggles with that because they're like, no, but my sport is more complex than that. It's not simple. It's not easy. It's simple. So once we have that, we can then focus on what are the five things that you need to do to achieve your job and then working on that yep so we take away that whole pressure that whole yeah. expectation you have yeah. and then it doesn't matter whether it's a little a local competition a derby or a olympics or well squash is not in the olympics but like world champions or <laughs> stuff like that. it then doesn't matter whether who's next to you who your partner is mm-hmm. it's the same thing because all you what no matter what level you're playing at you're doing your job finish yeah, so the key thing is keep it simple so it takes the pressure and expectation right out of the way, basically, so you, you can focus on doing your job, essentially. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's great, Karen. Um, so where can uh, people find you on social media and um, where can they reach out to you? So I'm on Facebook and on Instagram. My company name is Omnipresence Consulting, so you can just search for that and you'll find me on that. or. Dr. Karen on Twitter as well. Great, Karen. Thanks for coming on the show. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Okay, that's another episode of the Racket Athlete Podcast. I hope you liked listening and please leave a review.